and welcome back to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Ben Standick here. It's uh, Monday afternoon. Um, about 24 hours ago, we, the Washington football team began their utter beatdown of the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field. I know the Dallas Cowboys are an absolute disaster of a team right now with injuries galore and a defense that can't stop anything right now. Regardless, we don't expect the Washington football team to come out and just thoroughly handle somebody. Not in 2020, but that is what happened yesterday, and we're going to talk about that with my athletic teammate Mark Bullock. We'll get into some thoughts from his perspective from that film, uh, from the film side of things, and we'll go through um, we'll go through a few other uh, aspects of that game that he finds interesting my, that I do as well, including how uh, how the offense is coming together with Kyle Allen and you know following a big day of Antonio Gibson. We'll get to all that here in just a moment. If you want to check out the other editions of the podcast, we had three episodes last week. I just want to make sure you, you don't miss anything in the future. Please subscribe. would love for you to do that. You do that on iTunes. Uh, we're on Spotify. I was told today we're good to go on Stitcher, so you can find that there as well. Hopefully everywhere else that you're interested in podcasts, you can find the podcast as well. If you're an iTunes person, they tell me that – Giving it a rating and, and writing a review helps significantly with people finding the podcast, so I definitely appreciate all of, of that. We'll have another, at least one more this week, maybe two. It is a bye week. Um, I, I'm going to not really take any time off because that's just not how I roll, but you know, I, I, we'll see. I may I may try to, to get busy in a few different ways, but there will be at least one other podcast this week for sure. I'm excited about uh, the guests I have lined up for that. Um, by the way, I should mention, you know, we do talk primarily about the Washington football team here because that's my day job for the athletic. And, you know, that's the team I'm around the most. But I do branch out to other areas. I don't think I even mentioned this last week because I'm a terrible salesman for myself sometimes. But I uh, helped uh, the athletic with our first ever uh, NBA agent survey. It, the, many of you are probably familiar with the NFL versions I've done before, but we did an NBA uh agent survey got made some made some news last week we had some comments in there from an agent about uh lebron james and his agent rich paul and their agents their sports agency clutch sports those headlines or those comments made headlines um they were on the espn's the jump they were blogged about all that kind of stuff plus we got into you know thoughts on lebron broadly kevin durant who's the best player in the league right now which players or which coaches stood out the most for better or for worse during the bubble, the NBA draft, free agency, when is the league going to start, a whole bunch of things, really interesting perspectives that the agents provided. So hopefully you guys can check that out if you haven't already. Uh, obviously, go subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, that's a whole different type of subscription, but one that uh, helps pay the bills. So definitely appreciate you doing that as well. Before I get to Mark Bullock, just a couple quick things about about this um about what we saw yesterday and and actually kind of ties into what I wrote about uh, last night for The Athletic. And that is this. Look, we have spent a lot of time, including on this podcast, a brief history of this podcast, talking about the mixed messages of Ron Rivera. And I think they're absolutely in play and 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 true when we're talking about his usage of ty- of timeouts, when we're talking about going for a two point conversion, um, when we're talking about keeping Kyle Allen in a game when claiming you're 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 trying to be protective of his injury while leaving in Alex Smith, and there's been other things as well, including for some people the benching of Dwayne Haskins and the the circumstances around that. You know, I've said this before. 
I, I agree with a lot of Ron Rivera's decisions, or at least if I don't agree directly, I understand the rationale. And to me, that's important. Um, you know, results can be misleading. They don't always, they don't always indicate logic. It just, things worked out a certain way. I understand why Ron Rivera has done a lot of things he's had. The problem has been the ex, the, the explanation afterwards has been confusing and it's been at times problematic. And so I think it's been absolutely fair to question some of what, what's been going on here. And partly when, when you're losing five in a row as they had before the Dallas game, you know, it, it, it leads into itself, right? Uh, I, I, if, if you want to tell me that there was nothing to discuss, that the media was just making up a bunch of, of malarkey to, to whatever, whatever you think we do, I'm just going to tell you that that's just flat out wrong. Things have been odd, to say the least, about how Ron Rivera has conducted business and the way he's explained it. But what's important is, and what to me matters the most, I'm not interested in this NFC race, even though I understand where Washington stands and the fact that the division is a disaster, as evidenced by Dallas's uh, showing of late, plus Washington is only a half game out of first place despite a 2-5 and record going into the bye week. What matters most to me about this season, and I suspect if we could give Ron Rivera some truth serum, he would probably concur as well, is getting this team to buy into what he's selling, to getting to buy into what this team needs to do going forward to be successful. If he can get convey that message to these players and get them to buy in, I think that matters most of all. Then next year they figure out what they what they have a quarterback, they they tack on another draft, they have money in free agency and so on. And I think one thing you saw with the performance against the Cowboys. You know, by and large, other than that Rams game, which went completely sideways once Kyle Allen got hurt, you know, Washington has been in games. I'm not saying that they were going to beat, say, Cleveland or Baltimore, but, like, they were competitive. There were stretches where, like, okay, you know, they're still out there fighting, trying, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. I think, and then we saw yesterday where they put it together in a much more positive way and thoroughly beat Dallas all three phases of football Washington was by far the better team. I, I think to me, what that says is that Ron Rivera is getting through to these players. And one way I can tell that beyond yesterday, and this is what I wrote about for the athletic is time and time again, when we ask these players about Ron Rivera, look, obviously part of, part of their appreciation for him is the battle he's going, he's going through right now with cancer. Uh, good news today on Monday, today was the last round of uh, chemotherapy treatments for Rivera. There, there's uh, video and photos online. You can see, you can see on my Twitter account at Ben Standig of, of Ron leaving um, the hospital today where he was getting his treatments and, and so many people there encouraging him um, and, and, and so on. And the players see that and they see this guy. He didn't miss one single game of coaching throughout this process. He just kept showing up, kept working, uh, despite the fact that he's obviously going through a lot physically. But what I'm talking about goes even beyond that. You heard of players even back in training camp. You have players at different times of the season. Talk about the message he's delivered to them has been straightforward and something they can understand. Uh, I, I, I had quotes in my story from Terry McLaurin and Tress Way and Morgan Moses and, 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 and others just saying how much they appreciate how Ron Rivera conducts his business, what he asks of them, that he, uh, he practices what he preaches, and that there's a clear understanding of the message of what he's trying to convey to them. And that's very important, obviously, when you're, move, when you're talking about moving forward. Uh, one thing that I think was obviously an issue go, with the previous 
re- regime was a constant. I don't think everybody was on the same page. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty un, un, a pretty easy point to make. And uh, you know, Ron Rivera, there there is no Bruce Allen in this scenario. Uh, the, you know, he's the guy in charge on so many fronts. And and if he's clear and concise, that message message can go down to the players. I think that's what we're seeing happening here. Now, none of this is to say that the Washington football team is going to run the table here and become NFC East champions. And honestly, as I said, winning the division with a 6-10 and 10 record doesn't excite me that much in terms of what it means uh, for this season. It does mean, however, that, um, that they're, like I said, that it's in, it would be an indication of them buying in to, 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 to Ron Rivera. By the way, I'm sure he gets even extra credibility by how Kyle Allen has performed. He went out on a limb to, to bench Dwayne Haskins. Not so much to start Kyle Allen, but to bench Dwayne Haskins. But Kyle Allen was the one that has come in. And two games in a row. I understand that Dallas and the New York Giants are not the 85 Bears. Regardless, he's come out. The offense has looked far more efficient, particularly on third down. They were 9-15 of against, uh, against Dallas. Two games in a row, they've been very effective in that in that uh, on that down. Uh, obviously, we saw the playmaking on Sunday with Antonio Gibson. We already know that Terry McLaurin's going to deliver, and uh, and and so on. And then, of course, the defense took advantage of a depleted Dallas offensive line and got after Andy Dalton uh, repeatedly. So, I think that's the important thing to me going into this bye week. Again, I'm not personally that invested in this division race. I understand why people are, and if you are, Mazel Tov on that. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here telling you that Kyle Allen is the answer at quarterback, even though it's pretty clear that there's no more, there should be no more debate about who should be the quarterback of this team right now. And I'm not telling you that this defense has solved all, uh, you know, is going to be a, uh, an absolute dominant one going forward, even though between Chase Young, Montez Sweat in particular, and Deron Payne, they are really be- becoming a force up front. We'll see what happens, of course, without Landon Collins. Um, the, the athletic was able to confirm he did suffer and, um, Achilles injury. Uh, others have reported that as well, of course. And, uh, you know, they haven't said officially how long he's going to be out, but realistically with that type of injury, he's probably out the remainder of the season. And what happens there going forward, we'll see how they, how they replace him right now. We'll see. I suspect they're going to have to go out and sign somebody else. You know, even if Kendall Fuller plays some safety, you know, that's not necessarily a, a, a move I would imagine they want to make, you know, for a chunk of the game, you know, conceivably you could move to Shazer Everett over to strong safety. And have uh, you know Troy Apke back at free safety. They went with Cameron Curl yesterday, paired with Everett. So that's obviously another way to go, as well. We'll see. Uh, Eric Reed, of course, is still out there. The former Carolina Panther that was with Rivera, uh, with 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 Carolina. Um, he's out there. It's, you know, maybe maybe that's a move that they make. Whatever whatever it is, to me again, the larger point is: Are they buying into what Rivera is selling? I don't. I think it's pretty apparent they were not always buying to what the previous coaching staff and regime were selling. And I think that's important distinction. And it's something that these players have stated over and over again during training camp, during this season. And regardless of the talk of mixed messages on the outside, again, a worthy discussion and one that warrants further examination, depending on what happens with Rivera going forward here. I think it's important to, um, to, to recognize what the real big picture story is heading into this bye week. Uh, but that's, uh, that's where we stand right now with the Washington football team. More to, more to talk later in the week. But for now, let's talk to our pal Mark Bullock. We're going to talk about, as I said, uh, his perspective from, from the film side of things. We'll get into um, 
the offense, uh, which player he likes watching tape the most, and a bunch of other stuff uh, with our man across the pond, Mark Bullock, here on the Standard Room Only podcast. So what's, uh, what what time is it over there? Like, I can't, you think I would know by now what the hell, what, what, <laughs> five hours? You just changed the time now you were telling me. Yeah, it's normally um, five hours ahead, so it would normally be three compared to what you guys, it's 10 a.m. over there, right? So it would normally be three, but um, our clocks go back, I think, a week before you guys. Um, so we're currently only four hours ahead, so it's just on two. Um, so that always messes me up during the middle of the season for it suddenly, for a week or two, it's only four hours instead of five, and all my timings get thrown off. But Obviously, you know, in the in the grand scheme of the Washington football uh, people who talk about this team, uh, you, you are a fascinating person simply because you're so unique being overseas. Does any part of you ever think to yourself, the hell with this? Let me get back. Let me get on the real time with everybody else and go over there. Right into the real time. Get on our time and come yeah. over here because, like, like you, your schedule is uh, always off. I mean, when they play a night game, I mean, the horror for you. Uh, yeah, it's um, it can get a little bit tricky um, because like normally what I try to do is basically live on US time or I, I, I try I'm pretty bad at keeping strict on my sleeping patterns but I try to kind of be going to sleep three or four in the morning and waking up at sort of 11 or midday um, but I can get when the season happens as you say if there's a night game um, that can go on until like it doesn't start till half one in the morning so it, it goes on until four sometimes five in the morning so um that kind of goes out the window um so yeah it's uh it's tough and and like just the last week or two like i i got to the kind of stage where my sleeping pattern was so messed up and all over the place that i i kind of had to just try to reset it so uh last night i went to sleep at about one in the morning and 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 woke up about eight o'clock this morning my time which is kind of unheard of for me so um yeah it kind of gets messed up pretty easily but um it, it's hard to keep a, a track on things yeah i mean i've just uh look we'll, we'll we'll get to talking about the washington uh washington's big win over dallas we'll, we'll get mark's take on what he's looked at from the so far on, on the film and all that but like this stuff is this is the fascinating stuff like I, people in my world particularly when i was on the the um the end the more doing wizard stuff because obviously those games you know go you know start at seven o'clock or so maybe a couple yeah. later depending where they are and then it goes to late and then like you're, you finish you finish the game you do the locker room you write something and you're kind of wired so you end up staying up later whatever and so like my sleep patterns are way different compared to the people my friends who work nine to five jobs now the covering the football team is a little bit different because during the week it's much more of a you know more more of a nine to five typey vibe in terms of the schedule um, yeah. but i can only imagine do your what what do your people think do, do your people are like hey psycho what what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing staying up till the middle of the night because of america what, what's going on do, do they ever like question your life choices uh not really i think some of them are jealous that like because of the flexibility it affords me i i'm able to obviously it, it depends on my sleep but i'm able to do what i want during the day or the morning uh if i like if i need to be up at 10 in the morning i can be and i can be around the house if something gets delivered or if i need to go to the shop or whatever and get anything i'm not 
like restricted to having to go into work and stuff so there are benefits and uh, uh, most of my friends here have an interest in uh, the NFL anyway so they they're kind of jealous that I kind of get to do what I like for a living and I get to just watch a game and and talk about it and uh kind of have a, a a relatively relaxed lifestyle but the the sleeping pattern is kind of the bad side of it and I'll um I'll occasionally text one of my friends as a police officer and I'll occasionally text him after a game um, because he will often work some odd shifts as well um and so I'll text him after a, a night game saying you just missed a great night game and, and he'll be like what the hell are you texting me at six in the morning for but you know it's uh it, it is a bit crazy but I, I because I've been doing it for so long now everyone's kind of used to it <laughs> I, I I gotcha well one, one thing people are not used to is watching the Washington football team dominate an opponent I mean win okay they they you know obviously they beat Philly Euro this year and you know even last year they had you know three of them I think right but yeah. but 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 to blow somebody out the way they did with Dallas, and it was so weird because like when they got the safety to go up two zip, and then they got a touchdown right after that. I'm not saying the game was over, but it felt pretty clear to me that Washington was the better team. Yeah. And 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 last week I had on um, John Machota, our our, uh, uh, our Cowboys insider, uh, to talk about. You know, we we went kind of back and forth on questions we had from afar about their teams. And when we talked about his defense, he's like, look, I'm just telling you now, I don't care who you guys have a receiver, you've got injuries, whatever it is, you, Dallas can't stop anybody. They, they can't stop the run game. They, they can't stop anybody. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, I get that. But, like, you know, it's not like this offense is that explosive. No. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they just basically kind of did whatever they wanted, especially early in the game. You, you, you know, we'll get to the defense in a sec because you specifically wrote about Cole Holcomb. But in terms of the offense, I, I guess I'm curious what you thought. The one thing that sort of stood out to me, this is the second game in a row. They really went running back heavy to start. Uh, got all three guys involved. Um, but what did you think about not just maybe that aspect, but just sort of the, the the play calling around the running back situation? Obviously, Antonio Gibson had a, had a monster day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and as you said, they, the, like the Cowboys weren't able to stop anything. And, and that kind of reflected on the opening drive where um, – Washington basically called just about any kind of run that you could possibly call. They, they they opened with a duo scheme. They went with wide zone. They they used crack toss. They they had that little um, almost jet sweepy kind of thing with Gibson that went for forty yards, where they kind of hit him behind a, a jet sweep from Cam Sims, and and he took it to the edge and, and got forty yards. Um, so they were they were running whatever the hell they wanted and, and they were having success doing so. And, and that really allowed them to um, set some stuff up. Um, so after that first drive where they, they ran all of that kind of thing, they, I felt the play calling from, from Scott Turner was a lot better with um, marrying the run schemes to the, to the play action schemes. Like in the past we've seen like he'll run a bunch of wide zone and then he'll try to do a play action call where he pulls a guard to fake a power scheme and it's like you haven't run power all game why are you doing that but um on the on the second drive he focused on the power scheme he ran out on the first and second play of the drive um and on the third drive he he faked that power scheme pulled a guard and, and used that as a play action fake to to try to hit thomas um and that's when they got that uh the defensive pass interference on, on thomas 
Um, and then on the fourth drive, they fake that play action scheme again with uh, pulling a guard. Um, and, and then they hit Terry McLaurin over the top for a 50 yard TD. So I felt like the offense did a lot better job of, of, uh, it was a lot more cohesive. The, the run game was a lot more um, structured with, with and married into the play action schemes um, far more than it has been. And, and that it helps that Dallas couldn't stop anything. You could just do whatever you want. But I, I felt that that was um, something we haven't seen from Washington so far this year. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, just to stay on the backs for, for a quick second there. So, you know, one, one thing going back to the, to the, oh, I was going to say the preseason, there was no preseason, but back to training camp, you know, one of the things they talked about a lot was how they use with Gibson and McKissick, these two running backs who have receiver skills that because you don't know whether if, you, if they're lined up in the backfield, they could be running a play from the backfield. They could quickly split out to receiver and it, it puts a pressure on the defense to kind of guess what they're going to do and have a, a personnel to match. Um, and then it was also a lot of talk about using two back sets. It doesn't feel like collectively we've seen a lot of the two back sets, although they were both in there. Uh, on the play where Gibson went for 40 yards, he was lined up sort of in that slot uh, with three receivers to the left. Um, yeah. How much, I, I don't know if you, if you saw more or less yesterday or how much you were tracking that, but like, what have you kind of seen ha- their ability to, to, to create mismatches with those running backs? Is that something you think they've been able to do effectively or something you kind of wish they were doing more of? Uh, it was something I thought they could have done more of up until this week they've done it to an extent um where uh more mckissick than gibson um has kind of motioned out from the backfield to the slot or outside in in empty sets and and they've used him to to match up on a linebacker and win some routes and and you saw that on the um i think the third down on the opening drive you saw mckissick motion outside and then he ran a a really nice route on a quick out against um jalen smith and got open on third down and converted um so that we saw a little bit more of that um and as you say that that mckissick and gibson package i i think it was more effective as a run scheme this week than it has been before because they they quite often typically it's been gibson aligning in the slot and and running jet sweep motions and such uh and, and mckissick taking the the carry uh this week they they kind of interchanged a lot more and and there was far more of McKissick lining up outside and he ran around on a um, end around kind of, I think they call it a ghost motion around the back of the quarterback on one play to, as a decoy. Um, they, they had him running jet sweeps. They had him, as you say, on the, on the Gibson run, he, he kind of um, hid underneath on a little sift block. Um, so they, they, they did get more out of that package Um and it was it felt more like what I was expecting to see going into the season, given the hype around that package. Um, and a lot of that is to do with being able to stay on script, which because Dallas was so bad, they were able to do um, most of the time this season. That apart from the Eagles game, where we saw more of that package, um, they they've been playing from behind. They've been um, trailing games, and and they've been in a lot of second and long, third and long situations. And when when you're in that, you're your script kind of goes out the window and you have to kind of go to a few basic things to try to pick up yards. And, and that's why they've got away from it. But I think we saw more of it yesterday, um, which I think was good to see. Yeah. I mean, 
every time there's a loss and when there's when there's struggles, at, especially at the quarterback position and the offense, obviously, look, the, the, the big win, all that. They only scored 25 points against Dallas. I say only because Dallas has given up at least 30 in like yeah. six games. So even that, to some degree, I'm not really criticizing, but to some degree kind of shows kind of their – they even 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 Washington couldn't Still underperformed. Right, right, right. I mean, relatively speaking, they you know Dallas didn't allow thirty points for the first time this season, I believe. So, um, you know, they can they can say that if they want. Um, but I, I'm curious, like in terms of Scott Turner, I was saying that when these things happen, you know, the offensive coordinator can get some blame, and I, you know, you hear people complaining about Scott Turner already, especially in relation to what happened with Wayne Haskins and so on and so on. As a guy who's who's sole purpose in life it appears is to watch game tape over and over and over again just aesthetically speaking what do you I mean it's, it's still early and like you said it, Scott Turner has not been playing with a lead very often they you know they, 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 they've struggled in the first quarter significantly most of the year so he's quickly getting off script perhaps like you're kind of saying but aesthetically speaking whose offense do you been kind of liking more so far what you're seeing from Scott Turner or say last year with the Jay Gruden slash Kevin O'Connell. Is there, I mean, maybe it's too, it's unfair to say, but is there one that you just, you know, from your own, how you like looking at the world? Is there one you kind of aesthetically like more than the other? Uh, I I mean, I'm publicly quite a big fan of Jay Gruden's offense, certainly his passing schemes. um, And I think he did more than people realized to scheme people open and, um, and made some receivers look better than they were. Um, and last year, it went away from Jay Gruden's scheme, and, and Bill Callahan took over, and he kind of enforced the run. And then Kevin O'Connell got a little bit more of a say, and I think O'Connell did a pretty nice job of trying to marry the Bill Callahan run scheme to the Jay Gruden passing scheme. While, but it was still O'Connell was calling plays from both. Callahan and Gruden's kind of playbooks rather than necessarily what he would have wanted to do but I, I think he did a nice job of marrying those together um, I I don't hate what I've seen from Scott Turner's system I, I do prefer um, that kind of I've always been a big fan of the Shanahan kind of tree where Carl Shanahan, Sean McVay um, or the Gruden tree with Jay and John Gruden um, and McVay's in part of that and there's Matt LaFleur as part of the Shanahan tree that those kind of guys, they do such a nice job of um, marrying run schemes to play action schemes, um, and then and then in the passing game, scheming guys open and giving the quarterback outs against different coverages um, and making it as quarterback friendly as possible. Um, I, for from Turner's perspective, we haven't seen that as much, and and a lot of that is down to the situation. They obviously they lack a lot of talent. Um, especially a receiver outside of McLaurin. Um, but the calls haven't necessarily been particularly exotic or um, exciting. They, they, they've they been fairly basic schemes and they, they haven't been working. And I, I kind of feel like a guy like Jay Gruden probably would have schemed up m- more receivers open, but that doesn't necessarily mean it would have been a more effective offense. Um I, I like what some things that Turner does in terms of I like the two back package with Gibson and, and McKissick. I like the ability to move guys around and, and go to um, empty formations and try to create matchups that way. I, I think that works as an offense to a degree, um, but I don't think he has married that package to anything else yet. Um, 
So it's kind of like when you see Gibson and McKissick come out or when they go to empty, there's a certain package of plays they'll run from that that are just completely different from what the rest of the offense is built around. And it doesn't feel very um, cohesive with the, with the rest of the system. Um, so that's where I feel like some guys like McVeigh or Gruden have done a better job um, marrying things together and, and having a more cohesive system. Gotcha. Um, we are uh, talking here on the uh, Standard Room Only podcast with uh, my pal Mark Bullock, uh, the our, our film guru with The Athletic. Um, so l- let's talk quickly about the quarterback. Uh, look, I, I don't think it's I, I don't know how anybody would argue that Kyle Allen, the offense hasn't looked better the last two weeks. We'll say that the offense looked better the last two weeks than it had the previous weeks. The, it coincides effectively with the quarterback change. Yes, Allen started the, the Rams game, but he got knocked out early, so we don't quite know how that would have uh, unfolded. And obviously, things went very south when Alex Smith went into the game. Uh, yep. you, can all, you can easily say as well that the last two opponents, the Giants and Dallas, are the types of teams that teams should have success against, particularly Dallas, a historically – on a historically bad rate right now in, in numerous uh, categories for sure. And, you know, the Giants defense is kind of whatever at best, but, you know, fine. Um, that said, you got to take, you got to, you still have to take advantage of the situation and you still have to produce. It doesn't matter what, who the opponent is on some level, they, they have looked better. And I'm just curious from your perspective, how much would you say is that kind of, the offense does simply look much better with Kyle, well, I guess one, do you agree with that? But two, do you think that it's, it's how much of that is Kyle Allen's, whatever it is, his aggressiveness, his understanding of the offense, or the other part is how much is it really just, hey, it is the Giants, and in particular, it's Dallas. You cannot over, you can't over, uh, you know, buy into too much of this offense is fixed because these teams are, are that bad. Where do you kind of fall into what we're seeing out of Kyle Allen and how that fits to what we've seen from the offense? Yeah, I would say I wouldn't overvalue what they've done against the Cowboys and the Giants. I would say, yes, the offense has executed at a better level uh, with Allen at quarterback, but um, I don't necessarily know if that is sustainable. Um, Allen has been able to scramble around and, and use his legs to generate more plays when Haskins wasn't necessarily able to do the same thing. Um but he's also missed some plays himself uh, and and had some opportunities that he's missed that Haskins perhaps would have hit. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that Allen has played fantastically. I, I would say he's been fine. Like he was better yesterday than he was last week um, from without having yet watched the film, um, only watching back the broadcast. He, he felt like he, he, I felt like he did a better job of, um, playing within the system and not trying to force things um and that kind of reflects in the turnovers he, he didn't have any interceptions he didn't have any fumbles um and he was he was much more willing to admit that a play was bust and, and that he wasn't going to get anything from it and, and throw the ball away more often than not um so i he he executed it a little bit better but again it is as you said against the cowboys and the giants it the, you have to take that those kind of results with a with a pinch of salt, and and I think how sustainable the offense is with Carl Allen, I, I'm not sure. I, I think it will look better because he he knows 
the the system better and and we saw in a little glimpse of the Rams game he was quicker at identifying blitzes and finding the check down and throwing over the blitzes um that the Rams were showing whereas Haskins in the week prior the Ravens were able to get to him on blitzes and and Haskins didn't either adjust the protection properly or wasn't throwing over the blitzes to to the correct heart read and and, and taking sacks so that kind those kind of little small details is probably why Allen's in there but um I don't foresee it being a thing where Allen's going to be this long-term starter for them. I, I still think they're going to be in the quarterback market this offseason. Yeah, and, and that's that's definitely a point I've been emphasizing too, that like I think people when they're, especially prior to this game, when they want to criticize Allen, it's I think they're lumping in too many other conversations. They're, they're, they're factoring in, well, if you're benching Dwayne Haskins and this guy needs to be better and this guy needs to be, in, you know, possibly the long-term answer. And I don't think either one of those things are a factor. I think Dwayne Haskins was benched regardless of Kyle Allen, although having a guy like Allen sure made it more comfortable for Rivera since he already knows what he can do. And then simultaneously, this has nothing to do with 2021. This is about right now, trying to figure out what to do. You know, look, the NFC East division talk is going to ramp up even more now because (laughs) they they beat Dallas. Yeah, Dallas was considered to be the favorite, you know, 10 minutes ago. And now, you know, things have fallen apart for them. Uh, the Eagles have a thousand injuries on offense and, and we'll see where they go. And Washington already beat them. But all that said, uh, you know, this is about just getting the offense to look a little more functional. And, and you know, I think Kyle Allen has is, is at least been able to do to do uh, that much. Um, by the way, I noticed you used you said a pinch of salt. We go grain of salt. So, uh, oh, okay. Uh, Sorry, I, I, I lo- think this term. No, no. I, this is this is this is why you're here. To, you know, look, I haven't. I barely have left the Washington D.C. area, let alone in the last seven months, <laughs> let alone travel the world. So, I need to get a little uh, reminder of what there's things happening outside the, uh, the <laughs> outside of town here. Um, <laughs> and that's one way to do it. Um, speaking of that, and the and the uh, pinch of salt level of of how we want to view this thing. Let's talk about the defense. You know, when you look at the offensive numbers for Dallas entering the game, huge numbers. They're like first in numerous categories across the board, but that was all with Dak Prescott. So uh, it was kind of like, okay, well, technically they're going up against like an offense you could say is ranked number one in the league in, in a bunch of ways, but not really. Um, Andy yeah. Dalton is okay, but like their offensive line is literally all the guys that we would know from the past few years uh, out. Uh, all, all, all hurt, bunch of backups. It's it's weird. I, I kept asking all week, when was the last time Washington had the better offensive line in the game uh, in this head-to-head matchup? Definitely did yesterday. So all that said, uh, and then Andy Dalton gets you know get, gets knocked out of the game with that vicious hit from John Bostic, and then it just even goes gets worse from there. The way they finished like 140 total yards, something like that. How much again with the pinch of salt? How much do you take from that defense? The, def- the defensive performance against what was going on there or, but look, they, you know, they did have six sacks. They, they held Dallas to three points. I think that's the fewest points Dallas has ever had in, in a head to head game against Washington. So what were you on that pinch of salt aspect with that uh, part of it? Yeah. I, I mean, it, the, I, I would still be cautious about overvaluing that performance against that offensive unit. Um, I, I would say I was, a little bit surprised that they were they gave up as much as they did on the ground. Uh, not that they were terrible. I, I felt like they gave up more than they should have done against that unit. But um, passing wise, they, I, I I I think they were 
fine. Um, they, they've been kind of solid-ish, other than the occasional, you know, big play where Troy Atke has been involved and, and screwed up or they've had a, had a bust somewhere. Um, they, they've been playing a lot of safe coverage, um, things like quarters coverage and, and cover three and, and that kind of thing that they've been very protective of their guys and that has helped guys like Kendall Fuller and um, Ronald Darby make some nice plays. So they defensively, the coverage wise, I, I don't put too much into how they did against Dallas, but the, the, I don't think that they've been too bad against most other teams. Um, so it's not that we can just throw out this tape because they, they, they did some nice things. Um, there, there were some nice, uh, interesting things they did with, with Fuller at, at safety after, um, Collins went down. Um, I'm interested to see more of that once we get the, the footage out. Um, but, um, yeah, the, I, I don't put too much into what they did yesterday. Um, because the quarterback, especially once Andy Dalton went down, um, the, the, the quarterback, like, I, I can't even remember the guy. Was it Ben Danucci or something like that that came yeah. in? Yes. Uh, he, like, uh, he had one throw that he threw. Uh, he had, I think it was CD Lamb on a comeback, and it was the easiest throw, and he just sailed out of bounds. So it's like you're not really competing against much there. Um, so I, I don't put too much into what they did yesterday. Right. I mean, once he came in, it was sort of the flip side of when Alex Smith went in. It was like, uh, this is not a real thing right now. No offense, Alex Smith, but just based on his circumstances. And that's kind of what it felt there. But, um, so, so two things that look, obviously they had six sacks. Montez Sweat just keeps flying around the field. Chase Young is just relentless energy. Deron Payne's making plays up front. I think we kind of get that. Now, the two things that have changed though in the last two weeks that are I think notable, one involves um well the the the, the two changes in the lineup. One is DeShazer Everett replacing Troy Apke, and obviously DeShazer Everett brings a big hitting um big hitting presence. Uh, he, he, there we can, you know, maybe quibble to some degree about his coverage skills, but like, you know, he's there as a hitter. And then you have Cole Holcomb who come, who, who came in and it was weird, you know, Holcomb, I think most of us were, you know, had some pretty high hopes for going into the year. I remember I asked Jack Del Rio in the, uh, before the season's before training camp started, who were some of the players you enjoyed watching the most on, on tape while you're getting ready for the season. And Holcomb was one of the names he brought up, but then he opens the season kind of behind Bostic and, and Kevin Pierre-Lewis, then he gets hurt. He's out for four weeks. Now he's back. And it's been noticeably different, it feels like, just at least from like a, a, a presence standpoint, just with those two guys out on the field. Obviously, Holcomb made a bit, bunch of big plays yesterday. The interception, sack. Um, on, on the sack, he absolutely murders Ezekiel Elliott, just like runs all <laughs> runs right through him to get to Dalton. Um, you wrote about you wrote about Holcomb. What, what's been – the, I mean, look, we know about his speed. What, what what has that been able to do? What has Jack Del Rio been able to do with Holcomb in the lineup? Yeah, he's um he's a, an interesting one because, I, as you say, it's, it, it was odd that he started kind of behind and, and then obviously the injury stopped him. And, and so we haven't really seen much of him this year. Um, and yesterday he, he started as... Um, the the Sam linebacker, which is the strong side linebacker, um, which is typically the guy that gets replaced whenever the team goes into nickel, um, and but he he played more because after certainly after the Bostic uh, ejection and 
he, he kind of took over the the middle linebacker role. Um, but he he was used um, as a as a rusher quite a lot um, with some blitz packages. Um, as you mentioned, his sack play that they they drew up a nice pressure package with with him um, and Cam Curl uh, blitzing off the right side to try to overload the right side, um, and they to compensate for that chase young dropped off into coverage which i know a lot of people won't like to hear but it did result in a sack um so th- that was a nice play um and it wasn't the only time holcomb got pressure earlier in that drive he he had a nice pressure when um the cowboys tried to fake a, a run and, and run play action and try to take a shot down the field and and holcomb managed to sneak around the the back of the offensive line and and, and pressure dalton into throwing the ball away um and he had a couple of nice run stops as well um he's been a guy that i feel like if the play is in front of him um and he's confident in his read he will use that athleticism he has to quickly fill a gap or charge downhill and and if it's a shallow cross in front of him he'll charge down and hit the guy or if it's a run play up the middle and his hole to fill he will run up and he will burst through the hole and make the tackle um the issue has been when he's had to take his eyes off the ball or drop into coverage and, and turn and run with someone. He, he can get beat in coverage like that, um, which will, will still remain to be seen how he does in that, in that regard. But um, he, he definitely played a lot better yesterday coming downhill. Um, and Del Rio certainly gave him more opportunities to do that with, with things like the, the blitzes that we saw with him. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, at the end of the day, the defensive line, you know, is making plays, uh, you know, pass rusher, you know, with Deron Payne in the middle. And the question it feels like has been, well, what happens, you know, part of their job is also to occupy blockers. And then what happens from, from, from there. And, and, you know, John Bostic, I remember back in the off season being surprised how quickly they, they brought him back. Not to say that like they shouldn't have brought him back, but to do it that quickly seemed to indicate that they really bought into him being a part of the high in the rotation and, and wanted him to, to be back. And I remember to kind of like, really like that, that. It felt like you could potentially do better. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, I don't, uh, there was been some reports this morning, I guess from Adam Schefter and others that people are not expecting Bostic to be suspended for the hit against Dalton, but possibly, you know, getting fined and, and, and whatnot. Um, the NFL is a lot of nickel coverage. We, we all kind of get that. So at, so at a point when they go back, when they go to more, nickel coverage. I mean, they, they did have three corners play a lot yesterday, but you know, you're leaving less and less three linebackers. Do you think that we get a point where Holcomb and Kevin Pierre-Lewis are out there more than, than Bostic or that, that Holcomb ultimately becomes the guy who's out there the most, or is that not feasible because of the, the signal calling aspect? Uh, possibly. I, I think uh, yesterday when, when Bostic went out, Holcomb certainly took over. Um, and I think to a degree he he was the signal caller at times last year when when Bostic wasn't in um and he certainly did it um in college so I don't think that's beyond him um the I I'd, I'd worry slightly about how he holds up in in coverage if he has to play man coverage um like the interception yesterday um he he, he was pretty lucky that the ball was thrown behind Zeke um and, he kind of said as much and he said as much after the game but like I, I knew if I if I let this go if I let this get caught on me I'm gonna get I'm gonna get pulled and fortunately the ball was a little behind and I was able to make a play so yeah and the the kind of not worrying thing but um worrying for a lack of a better term um was that 
he also said that he knew that the angle route was coming. Um, so if he knows the route is coming, why did he pursue it in the way that he did, um, where he kind of aggressively attacked the angle to the outside and left himself vulnerable to Zeke cutting back across his face? Um, so that that kind of is an example of I, I'm not sure I trust him in coverage yet. Um, certainly he has the athleticism to, to run with guys, but um, there is more to playing coverage than just having athleticism. Um, and you need to understand routes and route combinations and, and leverage. Um, and that's something that I think he still needs to fully get a grasp on before they're ready to hand over the reins from Bostick to him. Um, that being said, like, uh, on on rundowns, I could certainly see him playing, and, and if they're playing, if if they want to play zone coverage, um, and, and they have played a lot of zone coverage, then there's no reason that Holcomb couldn't play uh, one of those underneath zones where he just sits there and, and keeps his eyes on the quarterback and attacks downhill and anything underneath. It, it, he could do that just fine. Um, so there certainly is potential for him to take over that role, but um, I. I think if if Bostic isn't going to be suspended um uh, I, I think Bostic will hold on to that spot for a little bit longer um all right we're here talking with uh Mark Bullock uh our film analyst uh for the Washington football team with the athletic all right uh before we get you out of here I got a, I got a bunch of uh rapid fire questions for you you ready sure. yep go for it all right be ready here we go this is random this is not necessarily about the football team so be prepared <laughs> okay um Person you wished follow you follow you on Twitter that does not currently. Oh God, I have an answer for this, but I can't think of who it is. Um, there, there is some film guy that I know. I can't. His name's escaping me right now, but he does a lot of good film stuff that I really respect, and I can't remember his name. I'm blanking on it. But uh, there is a film guy on Twitter that I wish followed me, but doesn't. Me and a film guy like you. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Is it Nate Tice on Twitter? Uh, he's. I think he's the son of uh, offensive line coach Mike, oh, Mike Tice. Tice former, yeah. Former, former Terp. Uh, I, I'm unfamiliar with his work. I, I only have. You know, I'm. I'm very loyal to my film people. You being uh, top <laughs> of the list. So I don't know. Um. All right. So so so. I mean, look. I, I like the fact that it's a film guy that oh, that's yeah. going. What 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 is it about this guy? You just think he's really good. Yeah, he, he well, obviously he has good knowledge from his, his kind of his background and obviously his dad. Um, but he he he's a seems to be like a down to earth guy rather than a lot of the guys that know as much as he do he, as he does kind of are a little bit snobbish about it. They they kind of look down their nose at people that are trying to learn and um are, are that when when you ask questions of oh, what coverage did you think this was? Or um, do you think this guy took the wrong angle on this on this route or, or whatever? That they'll be like, oh, you don't know this? Or how do you not know this? This is obvious. Whereas he is a lot more laid back and willing to explain things. So um, he's a, yeah, I, th- I think he's a, he seems like a good guy from what I can tell on Twitter anyway. All right. Who is your all-time favorite athlete? All-time favorite athlete would probably be uh, a Manchester United football player uh, that um, probably Rio Ferdinand that most Americans probably wouldn't know. I, I know um, the name. 
yeah, say, sure. I couldn't say much beyond, beyond that. Is that wait? Is that your team, Man U? Yeah, I'm a Man United fan. Um, and uh, Rio Ferdinand was one of the better players in the era that I kind of grew up watching football and, or sorry, soccer. Um, and <laughs> no, uh, no, you you said it right for you for you. <laughs> yeah, and he he had a, a nice play style where he he was a defender, but he was um kind of ahead of his time in in how comfortable he was playing with the ball at his feet and you see a lot of defenders back then kind of just kick the ball out as soon as they get it and make sure and like kick it out of bounds to make sure that they're safe whereas he was comfortable with the ball at his feet and passing and and looking to build attacks going forward which is the modern way but back then it was kind of ahead of his time all right player on the current 2020 washington football team whose tape you enjoy watching the most uh terry mclaurin 100 percent. like it's just he you can see how detailed he is with his routes um you can see how much work he puts in and and the different types of releases he he run he uses to to beat players and um and you can see the in-game adjustments that hey this didn't work on this route so next time i run this i'm, I'm going to try something else and and um, and that works out for him, and, and you can see the rapid development from where he was in college to where he is now has been extraordinary. Um, and I think he's only going to get better. Um, all right, uh, this one's a little, uh, little, little thoughtful here. So, beyond with regards to the pandemic, beyond your family and friends, and hopefully good health, what's something you've come to appreciate most during this uh, crazy time? Um. I think it might sound weird, but social media, um, it's been a way to keep everyone connected and, and everyone, um, like the nature of my thing, my, my job and, and being in the UK uh, covering a, an American sports team, like uh, the, the hours that I keep and what have you, it, it, it kind of keeps you isolated anyway. So for me, like being isolated um, as much as the pandemic has forced a lot of people to be, hasn't been too strange for me. But the the nice thing has been how other people have been using social media to kind of open up and be like, "Hey, this is what I'm struggling with," or "Hey, this is um, this is an odd situation," and you you see people connecting through that and kind of helping each other out. That that. There's a lot of bad things with social media, but I think that has been one of the nice things about it. All right. Uh, I, I like that. And lastly, I don't know if this is so much of a question, but more of like an idea. Um, okay. you, you were in, in the previous discussion, you were, in, you, you were just, uh, as you often do, we'll just name different concepts here. They have different names. What did you say? Was one of them trout or did I just make that up? Trout? Uh, I don't I, think I, okay. I, I heard that wrong. Maybe that's, maybe that's what I was thinking about <laughs> for, for food later. Well, whatever. They got all these like exotic names. Since you're, since you, I would think it would be cool to call, to call to name something. So since you're the British guy, here's what I think you need to come up with. You need to find something on defense that you like, and I got the name for it. It's too easy. It works perfectly. Here we go. You ready? Okay. Bangers and mash. Bangers on, like, and mash. Like that doesn't that sound like a defense? If I said <laughs> the, the bangers and mash defense, big like, oh. That that sounds pretty. That sounds pretty ferocious. <laughs> I'd have to come up. Yeah, I'll I'll see if I can come up with some. What do you think? It's a it's a blitz. Do you reckon? You reckon it's a blitz, or you reckon it's a kind of coverage? 
Uh, it's, it's something where you're crashing the pocket, I would imagine. Like, you know, okay. it, it feels like a heavy, a heavy blitz. I mean, you can't predict the play where you're going to hit somebody hard, but yeah, I mean, you know, bang, banging on the line and then mashing the quarterback. I mean, sure. Okay. I'll, I'll see. I'll try to find some kind of blitz that I've not seen before and I will forever call it the bangers and mash blitz. That's what I'll do. All right. I like, I, I like it. Just, you know, this, 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 this free thought, you know, you know, uh, Use your use your Britishness and your film film prowess together to uh, <laughs> to to make this work. Um, l- 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 last thing here, so obviously they're going into the bye week with some optimism uh, with the win. Again, they're in the in the race for the NFC East because why why not? Um, you know, I don't think we're going to have any quarterback change anytime soon. Uh, you know, we'll have to see what they do at safety without Landon Collins. Uh, uh, it could be even going having to sign somebody off the street based on um, you know the, the personnel they have. I mean, uh, we'll we'll see what they um, what what they need to do. But I guess I'll just ask you this: if if the bye week, Ron Rivera and Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio are getting together, you know, maybe individually or whatever, and thinking to themselves, what's what's something we need to work on going forward? What, what's the one thing for you when you're looking at either side of the ball? If you want to say special teams too, as well. That, that's fine. But what's the one thing for you that you were like, you know, I really hope they can figure out a way to do this better, this different, whatever it is. What's that thing for you based on your uh, the film work you've done? I think um, offensively, the, the main thing they've had is the, the not being able to get on scripts. Uh, and we saw it yesterday, they were able to get on scripts and, and, and the play calling suddenly looked a lot better. The, the offense seemed to mesh a lot more and, um, we finally saw like a full attempt at what a, a Scott Turner play calling script would be like, um, and it, it was solid. Um, I, I won't say it was spectacular because again, it was Dallas and they're historically bad, and they didn't score the thirty points that everyone's managed to score against them. But it was better than what we've seen, um, and and so I would think the main focus for them going forward would be trying to develop that script to marry the different concepts together um, so that one blends into another instead of every time they they run a play it feels like it's just a its own entity and completely separate from everything else and it doesn't really set anything up um, yesterday we saw them do a lot better job as, as I mentioned earlier about using that uh, play action fake from a, a power scheme where they pull a guard and uh, make it look like they're running the ball and then they they take a shot down the field like they set that up by using uh, a power scheme from the same looks um, earlier in the game so that that kind of thing is something that I think Washington fans got a little bit spoiled with when Carl Shanahan and Sean McVay were here um, because those two are very very good at that and, and that's something that the best offenses do is that they marry schemes together and they make it all seem like it naturally blends together. Um, and Turner's offense so far has been too segregated. And, and like uh, when this personnel group comes on the field, we're running this package and it has two or three different plays and that's it. They don't really line up or marry with anything else. So um, I think that would be the main focus for me would be trying to get that script more polished and figuring out how to stay on that script, even if they're behind or um, in, in bad downs and distance. 
Um, you mentioned social media before. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what you've got. Uh, if, if there's anything you want to plug uh, for uh, for this week or maybe even uh, going the next week. Uh, sure. So uh, my Twitter handle is at Mark Bullock NFL. Uh, and uh, this week I, I'll be writing a quarterback review as I normally do. I wrote about Cole Holcomb uh, yesterday um, and I'll probably do something on, on Gibson and then the run game um, for Wednesday or Thursday this week. Um, and all of that uh, is on the athletic DC. And now that you, you know, you're officially on your bye week now that you've done, you've done this, I mean, you do have some work to do, but you're on the bye week. So maybe you can at least, I, I don't know what your normal hours are anymore. But maybe you can get some sleep and catch up with your mates like under normal, <laughs> under normal times. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I, I'll try not to get, two off of the uh, NFL schedule just because I've got a week, a week off, but I, I might take a little bit of time away to catch up with some people. Awesome. Well, Mark, I appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Great. Thank you. All right. Big thanks to Mark Bullock for his time, uh, even with the uh, time zone difference <laughs> across the pond. Um, really appreciate Mark's thoughts and insight. Of course, check Mark out on The Athletic, where you can find my work as well. Um as I said, we'll have another podcast this week. I don't want to um, state guests yet, just in case things fall through, but I'm excited for some people that are, are lined up, hopefully, to talk with me. And, of course, I'll have plenty of fun guests coming down the pike as well. Remember, please subscribe to the Standard Groom Only podcast on iTunes or wherever you, or wherever you uh, do your podcasting. Definitely appreciate that for sure. Um, one thing I do want to try to sprinkle in with these podcasts, maybe I should do it earlier, but I'll, I'll do it now, is uh, the idea of sponsors for this podcast. And by that, I mean, I know you typically that that means, you know, somebody selling a product and them effectively giving me money to to mention their product here on this podcast. And look, obviously down the line, that would be cool. I'm, I'm not going to lie, but um, you know, right now this is a labor of love and I'm absolutely just happy to be back on to doing a podcast. The athletic was, was willing to let me do one outside of, uh, of their uh, podcasting universe, but they helped me out in certain ways and look, and we're just getting started here. We'll, hopefully people will listen and appreciate and, and, and want to want to tune in and listen to the podcast. But for right now, I'm just going to do my thing and we'll kind of see what happens. But um, I, I thought about this for, from a different way with regards to sponsors and people, uh, you, instead of viewing it from the perspective of somebody giving me something, I wanted to do it to give back to people that have helped me along the way. Um, people that have effectively sponsored me through their actions, through their words, through their deeds, uh, just being around, just checking in, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, I could go down the list and I'm, I'm going to largely stick to say, my current my current job in the media as opposed to a you know junior high school teacher that that uh, told me I uh, you know had some had some skill as a writer or uh, you know my, my parents and things things like that but well you know we'll, we'll see what happens over time um, and so in no in particular order but I was just thinking about in thinking about this today and one guy I wanted to I wanted to give a shout out to is my pal Joe Glorioso um, he is uh, the, the the man the man behind the All Pro Reels. Um, uh, photography group that you can find, uh, you know, all over Twitter. You can find it all over Instagram. They've done a really great job of getting to uh, sort of integrate themselves with the players. You constantly see Terry McLaurin and others uh, 
posting the pictures from from Joe and his group on their site that Joe does a great job. He's always enthusiastic and, um, you know, he's um, he's a really a, a credit to our to our community here in terms of the Washington media. But I wanted to give him some a specific shout out for me personally, uh, because, I, you know, I knew Joe a little bit back in the day on, on our Wizards front. He's uh, behind um, uh, the Hoop District website. He had some other uh, things going on before that on the Wizards beat. And I knew him a little bit from there, but when I started the uh, Breaking Burgundy site that some of you may be familiar with when I on uh, Scout.com a few years ago, that was sort of my first real kind of foray into the Washington football team beat. I um, I, uh, I Joe reached out to me, and uh, I really had no idea how I was going to do this site. I, I needed to. It was not just I was not I wasn't just the writer and the reporter, but like I was also in charge of the site. I needed content up on the site. How was I going to do this? I really had no clue. And out of the blue, one day Joe reached out to me to say, "Hey, man, um, you know, I know we know each other a little bit, but uh, look, I would love to to help you out. I'm a photographer on the side of my of my day job, and you know, I've run websites. We you know we can kind of collaborate and figure some things out. And I, I just have to say that you know Joe has been a huge help to me over time. Um, both he he's he's my go-to guy. For example, the logo for this podcast is something uh, is, was a Joe creation. I said, "Hey man, I, I I what do I do here? Here's what I'm thinking." And within a few minutes, I think on the second try, we came up with this uh, for sure. This has happened throughout um, our time together. Where I'm like, "Hey, how do I do X?" And Joe tells me how to do it or just does it for me. Um, and, but maybe most of all, uh, even beyond that, and, and when I was also I should say when when I was um, had the sports capital, which was my own version of the athletic, a much, much, much smaller version of that without any uh, uh, funding <laughs> that I did with, with my uh, pals, Todd Dibus and Brian McNally. Um, one thing that stood out, we had photographers and, and that all effectively came from Joe. Uh, Joe was one of the, was one of them. And he also got some other guys involved with us as well. And, and that was a huge, uh, huge deal to have the, an extra layer of credibility to what we were doing. And I think it helped Joe get in, get in with the Washington football team as well. But more specifically uh, for me personally, you know, Joe's always been a great, I, you know, I, I tend to be on the pessimistic side of life and Joe is definitely an optimist and having his um, spirit around has always been able to help lift me up even during some times where I'm like, man, what am I doing with my career or whatever? And Joe's been there. And, and, you know, like I said, this is one of these things where I'm, as I think about this podcast and, 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 and kind of look back on the journey that I've had to get to where I'm at with regards to, um, to my job and my career and so on, you know, it's important for me to think back about the people that helped get me here. I certainly 1 million percent did not do this solely on my own and didn't get plenty. And I got plenty of help along the way. Some of it more obvious than others, Joe, uh, someone like Joe and less so. But, but but important for me, and just wanted to give a shout-out to him, and uh, I'll, I'll mention some other folks as we go through through this. But that's it for now on this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. You can check out all of our other episodes as well, and that's it for now. Until next time, see ya.